Welcome. You may be a member at Rochester Church of Christ, or you may follow us regularly online, or you may have been referred to this by a friend. Either way, we're glad you're here. This is Adam Hill, Minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ, and I hope that this message will speak into your life with the good news about Jesus. I want to I want to start by saying I've been approached by uh, quite a few of uh, uh, of our family um, over the last few weeks with thank you just sharing with me how much this comeback series has meant to you personally and I am um, extraordinarily encouraged that so many of you have been blessed by the preaching of God's word. And by the message of the gospel. Uh, in particular in this series, um, I can't claim a lot of that praise. I know it all goes to God. But it's certainly not mine because I'm staying pretty close to a book that meant a lot to me. Okay, a book by Louis Giglio called The Comeback. Um, I enjoyed that book. That book meant so much to me that I decided to tailor a series of messages based on it, and I've stayed pretty close to the book. Um, It made an impact on me, and I'm glad that that message has resonated with you. But as we've heard each week, story after story of comeback after comeback, I wonder if there's any of you out there sitting there thinking to yourself, Okay, Adam, but what do you do when you can't come back? There are things that happen that, that you can experience that, that doesn't have a happy ending. Okay, what if, what if the things in your life that you have lost can't be regained? Okay, you prayed... You were there in the hospital, you were praying, and your child didn't make it. You were in the battle, you were in a war, and you lost a limb to an IED. Okay, that you, you, you were there, and you were working hard, but you lost your career. You hear what I'm saying, right? In these situations, the thing that you lost isn't going to be restored. So you have a loss that can't come back. Now what? What kind of comeback can you have when you can't have a comeback? And today I want to share a message that I think will give you hope. And the message is this, that Jesus is enough. What kind of comeback can you have when you can't have a comeback? Jesus is enough. That's the message today. And this statement acknowledges, I need you to hear this, this statement acknowledges there won't always be a happy ending to the story. At least not here in this life. It admits that there are things that break in this life that can't be repaired. That not every story has a happy conclusion this side of eternity. And we don't understand the reasons that God lets this stuff come to pass. But it sure does come to pass. Still within the journey, 
I want you to hear, Jesus can become enough for us. God can bring us back in ways that only God can define. And the way that God brings us back will be enough for us every day. You see, God, I believe, provides a grace, a sustaining, moment-by-moment, tailor-made grace specific to each of us in our brokenness and in our weakness. And, and, and there's a grace, I believe, God knows just what we need, even when we don't. Okay, that there is a grace for everything. God gives you what you need. Now, what you need most is God. And God's presence sustains us and holds us together even as we're falling apart. I believe that God will never forsake us. But we usually only feel this presence, this provision from God when we become still. It is then that we can know that God is God, that God is here with us in the middle of this life. You see, what I'm saying is there is a grace for you, even when your child does not live. There is a grace for you when your mother or your father does not live. There is a grace for you when the what you lost isn't coming back. There is a new grace for you when what you dreamed will never come to pass. There is a new grace for you when what you hoped for will not be seen. There is not, and this is not a grace that promises that everything will work out just as you had hoped. This is not a grace that offers any guarantees save one, and that is that God is with you. This is a grace that is seldom fully understood. This grace can hardly be articulated even when it's felt. This grace is nothing you need to produce on your own. This grace is what God gives you when you have nothing left. This grace is the only hope of every moment, and that is that Jesus is enough. In 1 Kings chapter 17, there is a story about the prophet Elijah. And I want to read to you the first six verses to sort of set the stage, because what's happening here is that Elijah is going to prophesy a drought from God to some people who don't like him at all. All right, so here's how it goes. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba and Gilead, oh yeah, that one, got it, said to Ahab, <laughs> as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will, now bear in mind, he said this to Ahab. Now, Ahab is the king. Okay, he's a wicked king, but he's the king. And Elijah says to him, as, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. You're not going to get any moisture in this desert unless I say so. You're not in charge anymore, Ahab. So then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you walk in and you give a weather report like that, hit the bricks. All right, it's time to go and lay low for a little bit somewhere else because no one likes a bad prophet or a bad weather report. You come in and give the news, you need to go. And so he heads out. 
So the Lord hid him. Okay, get this. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You'll drink from the brook as I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. The what? Right. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan, stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So, Elijah gets this message from the Lord, walks into King Ahab and Queen Jezebel's court, tells them, you're not in charge anymore. By the way, it's not going to rain or do unless I say so, and I'm not saying so. After giving them the bad news, he runs, he hides as God has directed him, and, God, and, this, and here's the deal. God sent the drought that God said God would send. He was right, but now Elijah lives in the middle of the wilderness in a drought. And so Elijah is a little worried about how things are going to work out. God tells him, camp out east of the Jordan River. I want you to be in this ravine. There's a little brook that runs through there. And I'm going to provide for you, Elijah. And God provides for Elijah two ways. First thing, if you're reading the text, God provides for Elijah naturally. There is a brook in the ravine. You can drink from the brook and get water. God provides him natural provision. The second way that God provides for him, you probably see this one coming, is God provides supernaturally. I'm going to bring you food, don't worry, and I'm going to bring it to you by ravens. By what? Yeah, you got it. That is... A little concerning if you're the prophet. You see, here's what I'm learning. We can't predict what sustaining graces God will give us in any moment. That's up to God. I'm going to go a step further. (laughs) Eric, you can't expect the same kind of provision and sustaining grace that I got when I was in a similar situation. We can't predict it, nor can we expect that God is going to do the same thing every time the same way. All you can do is trust that provision will come. So receiving the natural provision makes sense. But it doesn't mean it's always easy to trust the natural provision. Okay, think about it as if I'm not telling you. Sometimes we read our Bible and we kind of make it like it's a fable. Think if I'm telling you real history about a real person. Put yourself in the prophet's shoes. Sandals. (laughs) Elijah is east of the Jordan, camping out. And every day, he's going to get some water from the brook. And there's a drought. Years long, all right? Every time, every morning he goes out to that brook, that water level is a little lower. A little lower. There's more of that shoreline visible than there was the last time he went. And what's in his mind? As it slows down to a trickle, is this natural provision going to last? I see what's happening to it. 
God, I know you're providing for me, but I'm seeing the, the, what was the stream turn into a trickle, turn into just a few drops. And I, and, and I want to know, I know you got me, but I need to know you got me. Because what you've been providing me with doesn't seem like it's going to keep going as long as I need it to keep going. Now, all the while he's watching this, we're worrying about dwindling natural supplies. God is still bringing meat and bread with ravens. You see, God is always at work even when we don't see it. Even when we don't think God will show up, God will always provide. And whenever the brook runs dry, and I'm telling you now, it will. Whenever the brook runs dry, God will provide another sustaining grace for us. We need to be thankful right now for God's sustaining grace. And we need to be confident that later there will be another sustaining grace. I need you to repeat this after me. Jesus is enough. Jesus will be enough. Let's say it again. Jesus is enough. Jesus will be enough. In Elijah's case, both the natural and the supernatural provision and sustenance ends. The brook dries up. The ravens stop coming. And at that point, the sustaining grace of God for Elijah changed. God gives him a new grace for a new moment. And he tells Elijah, I want you to travel to a place called Zarephath. And I want you to find a widow there. She's going to take care of you. And at this point, if you're Elijah who's been camping out for the last couple years, you're like, all right, a sugar mama. That's what I needed. Now we're talking. I like this provision plan better than those birds. But there's a problem with that. And this is odd because you'd think if God wanted to provide for Elijah, God could have sent Elijah to, I don't know, a wealthy person's home or an influential or powerful person's home. But that's not where he sends him. He sends him to find this widow. Oh, by the way, she's got a son, but they're on their last legs and they're broke. I'm going to take an interlude here for a moment. We'll come back to Elijah and the widow. I want to think, as I was thinking about this, I want to think about the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. Jesus is followed by a huge crowd, and seeing them, he recognizes that they are hungry. And so Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to find them some food. I want you to get them some food. And if you remember Philip, who is, I guess, practical and maybe pretty good with numbers, Mackenzie Phillips says, We don't have enough money to buy bread for these people. It would take half a year's wages just to give everyone one bite. Okay, he's doing the math. 
Philip's math is, is pretty on point. Andrew, who is, we'll say, maybe not as good at math, but is optimistic, says, well, this kid gave us his lunch, and that's a start. Right, so he pulls up these, these two scrawny fish and these five hard loaves of bread, and he's like, hey, we got to start here, let's go. You got to start somewhere, we're off the schneid. Feels good, right? Jesus is not the God who looks at the overabundance of the world's wealth and sees that as the answer to all of the world's problems. Instead, he looks in unexpected places. He looks at widows. He looks at small, young children with box lunches and poor and downtrodden and the meek and those without power and those for whom God hasn't, for, for whom life hasn't worked out as hoped. And Jesus sees great value in them. And here's the key. Jesus, his answer is not to take from them. Instead, Jesus invites them to places of prominence and importance within the overall story. God looks at the people who are poor in the things of this world and says, do you know how incredibly important you are? You don't think you have any might or power, but that's not how I operate. I operate by the might and power of my spirit. And when I am operating by the might and power of my spirit, there is no end to what can be done. So he gave thanks for the meal and he began to distribute the food. He blessed the bread and he broke it and suddenly there weren't just five loaves and two fish. All of a sudden there were ten fish and fifteen loaves. And then 50 fish and 100 loaves. And then all of a sudden there was bread everywhere, just loaf after loaf of bread and fish, more delectable fish than anyone could even pass around. Everyone ate, and then they ate some more. And when the feast was over, there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers, enough for everyone to have a late night snack or breakfast the next day. I like to imagine. That little boy who brought his sack lunch up. The boy who had given away everything he had. How full was he afterwards? How much food did he take back home in that lunchbox? What kind of abundance did he have after he had given everything away? Jesus is not dependent on natural provision. Because Jesus, watch this, is the bread of life. The reality of feeding the 5,000 is that Jesus is really all that they needed. And the same is true for us. Jesus is the true sustenance we need. Because this is the same thing that happens, the interlude's ending, that happens with the widow in Zarephath. The same kind of story happens. The prophet Elijah finds the widow near the gate, picking up in verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, 
Hey, will you bring me a little water in a jar so that I can have a drink? And as she's going to get it, he called, hey, hey, and bring me please. At least he says please. <laughs> I say please. Bring me please a, a piece of bread too. Listen to her response in verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives. There's an interesting word in there already. Your. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son that we can eat it and die. Her response is basically, when he says, hey, bring me some water, she says, okay. When he, when he says, hey, bring me some bread too, she says, now this is a person that God sent him to for provision. She says, sure, why not? All I have left is a handful of flour and a little cooking oil in a jar. And here's what my plan was, Elijah. I was headed home to take these scrubby sticks I've been gathering together, light a little bit of a fire, see if I can bake one last little bit of bread. And after we eat that meal, me and my son are going to die because we are at the end of our rope. Our brook dried up a long time ago. You want the last of my food? Why not? If I give it to you, all that does is hasten the end of this misery. You ever thought about how crazy it is that when we are at our lowest, God would ask something from us? When we get to our lowest, God will ask something from us. God, have, God could have chosen someone else to house and feed Elijah, but God chose this woman at the end of her rope. You see, God invites us to give God our last meal. Do you know what that last meal represents? Total trust. Total trust. I have nothing else in this world but you. When we are at our absolute lowest and weakest, Jesus invites us to hand him everything we have left. He invites us to give him our little Whatever our little is, and when we give away our little, we place all our confidence in Him. And God often meets us most powerfully when we're willing to admit that we don't have the resources to face the moment we're in. Once we've run out of all the human options, that's when the miracle happens. Come on, now is this on? Look at verses 13 through 16. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me. (laughs) Yeah, sounds good. Go home and die. Got it. But don't forget to bring my bread back. That's right. Before you give up, I need you to bring me my bread. God said you'd provide for me. I guess it's just a one shot, but all right. 
Then make something for yourself and your son. She already told him, I ain't got enough for me and my son and you. He said, yeah, so serve me first, then go feed yourself and your son. Watch what happens in 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So what's she do? She went away, did exactly as Elijah told her. There was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil didn't run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. She went and did what he said. Sure enough, there was food every day. For her, for her son, for the prophet, the flour was never used up. There was always a little more oil. Do you see it? She gave away everything she had and ended up with much more. The little boy gave away all that he had and ended up with much more. That's God's math. That's God's economy. That you start with a little and then you give that away and you'll end up with a lot. I think that often we want to be the kinds of people who would do this. But we also fear that if we give our all to God, we won't have anything left. I want God's miracle to come just a little bit before the pinch gets too tight. But Jesus says otherwise. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. Do you trust him? So there's one, there's one solution. Give it all away. You say, uh, can we try for a plan B? You make a compelling point, but is there any other way this works out? Give God your dreams. Give God your intense feelings. Give God your little and see what God does with it. If the widow had kept her oil and her flour to herself, how long would she have lived? If the boy had held on to his sack lunch, think about what he would not have experienced. Kenny and Amanda, go ahead and come up. Oh, no, y'all don't. Stay right where you are. It's the end of daylight savings time, so I can preach an extra hour. Um, Ah. Christina sent me that. Thank you for that. Now, I'm going to have them stay down for a second because Kenny wants to share something with you all here in just a minute. I want to go back to that psalm that we read as we opened today. Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? 
and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is the cry of someone who has learned that God is enough, that Jesus is enough. The truth is we can give it all away because we know that Jesus is enough. That when Jesus is enough, we focus on what we have, not on what we don't have. Not on what we still might lose. When Jesus is enough, we bless Him and do not curse Him. When Jesus is enough, we gaze intently on God and run to God, not running away from God. When Jesus is enough, we believe God and we do not doubt God, even when we don't understand our circumstances. When Jesus is enough, we ask Him to take the half of us that's left and make that everything He wants us to be. When Jesus is enough, we realize that our hearts were made for Jesus. And Jesus isn't just a theological idea. Jesus is a person. And not just any person. Jesus is the person that our souls and our hearts were made for. That's when Jesus is enough. That's the comeback for us when there is no comeback. That Jesus supplies us with what we need for the moment, for the day, for the season, and then provides another grace after that, and another grace after that, and another grace after that. Someone say another grace. Grace Grace is not a one-time deposit. Grace is a moment-by-moment rich relationship with God where we trust Jesus to be in us and through us and, listen to me, for us. We trust that God will come through for us in God's time and in God's way. When we have no comeback, the comeback is that Jesus is enough. Amen? So my question is, have you surrendered all to Him? And, 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 and what we're going to do, normally I have the team come up and I, and I, I kind of finish up, but I've, well, I told them to stay down because Kenny has this thing. He, he wants you to listen to this song that we're going to play. And, and so I don't, I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm going to have you stay seated. And I want you to contemplate. I want you to think seriously about what you're hearing, what this song is saying. And if you want to respond... We'll have a time for that here in just a few minutes. But right now, we're going to end by, I just want you to hear these words, because Jesus is enough. Say that with me. Jesus is enough. Now listen to this.
sincerely thank you for listening and pray that you were blessed today. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, to support our ministry, or to contact us with any prayer needs you may have, head over to www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.